Good morning. Earnings season is round the corner. It's my favorite time of the year. You get to be looking at your favorite companies, what is going right, what is going well, and likely losing more money. But regardless, earnings season is around the corner, and Palantir is about to report on the 7th of November, uh, I believe. I wrote an article on Duntons.com highlighting the most important factors that I believe we must take into consideration when it comes into earnings season. And unfortunately, investors, specifically retail investors, come into earnings with no metrics to look at, no principles to understand, um, and therefore they are susceptible to the fud and the fear and the huge level of media mismanagement and total uh, disinformation which is pushed forward specifically by CNBC uh, almost every single warning season. So when you read an, uh, a headline from CNBC, you can, all, you, you can almost be assured that, um, that the, the kind of narrative that they're pushing is, is totally absurd and separated from uh, what is actually occurring within the within the company? Investors fundamentally for Palantir should not be expecting uh, what I would call a groundbreaking quarter for Q3 of 2022. It's just not happening. And specifically with guidance at 475 million dollars in, in, in revenue, are reflecting solely a 21% increase year over year. Then this is clearly below the long-term guidance of 30%. So as a base case, we should not be expecting a groundbreaking quarterly result, uh, I don't believe. There are four main really important metrics I want to look at. Uh, firstly, custom acquisitions. Secondly, net dollar retention rate. Thirdly, US commercial growth. And fourthly, a metric that nobody really speaks about, contribution margin. Incredibly important metric uh, that I recommend you stick along and hear about for more. So Panther is about to reveal their earnings for Q3 of 2022 on the 7th of November. It is necessary, as I said, that we come in with an understanding of the metrics to look at. This will really aid decision-making. I remember last quarter at Q2, people were selling Palantir without even looking at the filing in which came out uh, within the following few days. They were selling based on the presentation. Uh, for me, that just seems utterly absurd. How can you have a good understanding of what quarter was actually about without understanding the true nuances of the of the filing that is coming that comes out hours after or days after um, the initial earnings. So, yeah, I think it's really important to, to, to find true nuance. And as, as I reiterate many times, this is where uh, value is often found. Regarding customer acquisitions as the first metric to look at, custom acquisitions is a leading indication of future revenues for Palantir. If Palantir achieves 40 new customers uh, achieved within the quarter, this later translates into hundreds of millions of dollars of, a re of revenue uh, over the following few years. You can be, sh be assured, as we'll look at with an example momentarily, that if Palantir requires one new uh, Quas customer for a specific quarter, then that customer often does not translate into revenue, perhaps one year after or even two years after. It translates into revenue, meaningful revenue, uh, maybe three years after uh, the initial adoption of that new customer. And that translates uh, into potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of value, as we can see within the government example that I'm about to reiterate. What, what we can see within the government, uh, specifically the long-lasting relationships with the governmental agencies, is the Panzer has had relationships with the Navy uh, since 08, 14 years, um, the, the Army since 09, US Special Operations Command since 09, and a range of other agencies, including the, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, U.S. Immigration, uh, Federal Investigations, FBI, and the Department of Justice for over 10, 13, even 14 years in some cases. And there is major, major evidence to show, looking into detail into these um, partnerships, that these grow considerably 
over time. For example, within the DoD, there was an amazing expansion recently, an amazing piece of data that we uncovered. Within the DoD, there was a recent expansion of the partnership with the Air Force. There was previously a small contract with the Air Force from 2010 to 2013. This small contract from 2010 to 2013 with the Air Force consisted of just a few hundred thousand dollar contracts within. This scaled majorly uh, over the past few years. The data shows that in April 2020, that same contract, uh, a, a contract to license Gotham to the Air Force for six months, costed $2 million. Following the pilot program, Palantir signed a contract with the Air Force worth nearly $20 million to provide the agency with the COVID systems. By 2021, this is amazing, the partnership grew to a staggering almost $100, billion, $100 million, sorry, $91.5 million contract in which Palantir was to provide a data platform for the Air Force to manage their resources for COVID and response to coordinate decisions for all uh, commandments. So what we have there, just to kind of explain more fluently, is an initial partnership in 2010 uh, to 2013 in which consisted of three to four contracts worth around a few hundred thousand per contract with the Air Force. That then scaled in 2020 to over $2 million um, and then to $20 million during COVID. And after COVID, this grew to a $91.5 million contract with that exact same agency. So you can see over a span of 10 years or so, uh, Palantir have managed to garner a contract um, growth rate in which is just utterly staggering. Now, obviously, that's just one individualistic case, but the point that I'm making is the fact that Palantir's contracts over time have the ability to grow considerably. And during the first few years, first two years, let's say, of adoption of a new customer, that doesn't necessarily translate into meaningful revenue instantaneously. It takes two or three years to ramp up, and then you start seeing hundreds of millions of dollars of contra in contract revenue coming from perhaps a specific customer, as within, within the case of uh, the government. So fundamentally for customer acquisitions, it's necessary to understand this uh, and to monitor this uh, because the customer acquisitions is often a leading indication of where the finances are going to be uh, within 10 years' time, within five years' time, let's say, as a base case. In addition to this, we also know that Palantir is focus, focusing more on modularity of their products. Uh, increasingly, uh, more evidently, we've heard from Alex Karp the fact that modularization is a necessity. Previously, it was very clear to see that organizations were very weary of adoption of a very invasive, expensive, and holistic operating system. Uh, these organizations, it seemed like they wanted to ease the friction associated with adoption. Um, and often these organizations are incredibly bureaucratic, uh, incredibly risk adverse. Uh, so you, you don't really blame them when it comes to uh, a crazy guy with curly hair stating that you must pay us uh, 10, 15, 20 million dollars in contract revenue for a huge system that is going to basically be the foundation of your organization. So what Pound are doing now is they're basically uh, modularizing their product uh, more evidently uh, and more aggressively, meaning that you can start with a modularized smaller section, specified section of the product, and over time consumption of that product increases. So they're basically increasing, sorry, decreasing the friction associated with adoption of the product, uh, thus leading to hopefully increasingly large revenue streams for Palantir and also uh, an ease of adoption of new customers. To add, it's been very clear that over the past few years, Palantir has also had a bottleneck when it comes to the sales force. Now, this couple has mentioned within the Q&As in recent times that Palantir has only had a sales force of around 1% of the company. This is just utterly staggering. If you compare this to Snowflake, as we did within the writing, you can see that Snowflake is a sales and marketing uh, team of around 2,400 individuals as of the last data. In fact, this is close to half of their overall employee headcount for Snowflake, which equates to a holistic number of 4,559 individuals. So 
over half of the organization at Snowflake is focusing on sales and marketing. Palantir, there's around 10 people that are focusing on sales and marketing. Now, obviously, this is ramping up, and we're going to get those figures uh, hopefully within the next quarter. But it's important to understand Alex Klapp on the latest earnings school stated that only 41 individuals within the company are fully trained to, to, to actually sell the product. And Panther has pledged to pass to, to truly increase this figure over time, increase the sales time, uh, this increase the sales team. This is going to take time to do so. It takes around nine months for an employee to become fully equipped to sell the software solution. So as investors, we should see this as the start of initial stages of the Salesforce ramp up in which is going to equate into meaningful business impact. Whilst to understand the early Salesforce ramp up perhaps won't translate into impact instantaneously, it's something to take into consideration. And it does not seem unrealistic, in my opinion, to assume that this quarter we should start seeing improvements when it comes to customer acquisitions, uh, specifically perhaps even more um, clearly in the next few quarters as, as an absolute maximum, I would argue. Um, it's been around, I would say, nine months or so uh, since this kind of message was um, starting to be focused upon, at least for our investors. So it doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem unreasonable uh, from my perspective to assume that Palantir should start seeing the benefits of this Salesforce ramp up come into fruition uh, and reflect on the bottom line. I pose the question, if Palantir really does have supernatural product capabilities, then why in the world is customer acquisition not, not more impressive? And previously, we used the excuse of a poor sales force, which I think is, is a fairly valid excuse. But now we should start seeing results and we should start seeing the sales, sales force ramp up equating to meaningful business um, bottom line improvements um, in the next few quarters and perhaps even this new quarter. So for Q3 of 2022, it should be expected that Panther requires at least more than 40 new customers for this quarter, at least I put in brackets. And I'm going to do a follow-up article uh, and writing and video on the specific expectations of the figures. But I just wanted to highlight within this video uh, the importance of the four main pillars that I see. Um, and then maybe we can discuss in the comments your specific numbers in terms of what you're expecting. Another important metric aside from uh, customer acquisitions is not net dollar retention rate. This is a very, very underrated metric. Once again, it's vital metric to understand this, basically the stickiness of the product um, solution. Net dollar retention rate measures how much your annual reoccurring revenue or monthly reoccurring revenue rates has shrunk over time. So net dollar retention rate shows how much consumption of the product is occurring over time with existing clients. And this is very, very important for Palantir uh, to keep the flywheel continually spinning. Within the case of Snowflake, they have a very, very impressive net dollar retention rate of almost 180%. I think it actually peaked at 180% uh, very recently, indicating the stickiness of the product. This shows that existing customers are purchasing the software solution they're consuming more of the software solution as time goes on. An incredible, incredibly important statistic to understand. Then the case of Palantir, the organization has a net dollar retention rate, uh, at least from the last figures that I found, of 124% within Q1. This is in comparison to 131% for the full year of 2021. Specifically, uh, that is the holistic net dollar retention rate of Palantir, 131% for the full year of 2021. It is important to understand also the split between net dollar retention rate figures Within the US commercial sphere, the past data we, that we have indicates that net dollar retention rate is around 150% within the US commercial sector specifically. On an international basis, net dollar retention rate is around 103% within the commercial sector. The figure of 150% net dollar retention rate within the US commercial sector, I think is a very impressive figure. It's also, as we're going to speak about in just moments, uh, a leading indication of where Palantir is going to be um, in other areas of the world. The US is often a leading indicator 
uh, for innovation, for success, for technological adoption. So the fact that you have a 150% net dollar retention rate within the US commercial sector, as of the last data that we received within the full year of 2021, this should be very, very impressive and should give, give us optimism as investors in regards to the um, capabilities of the product and the consumption from a US standpoint of the product over time from existing customers. Very, very important to note. It also notes, uh, I believe, um, the fact that, as I mentioned, the US is often a leading indication of where Palantir is going to be successful. Palantir often has crystallized their strategy, as we'll speak about in just moments, within the US, and then that strategy is replicated elsewhere across the globe. There are some very interesting dynamics uh, within the US in which results in faster adoption and agility of organizations, of governments, um, in which is obviously very beneficial for Palantir. So US commercial net dollar retention rate, good. Um, but this is a very, very important figure to look at because it basically highlights the stickiness of the software solution and how much your annual reoccurring revenue or monthly reoccurring revenue has grown or shrunk over time with existing customers. So very, very important metric uh, to understand. Absolutely. The third main pillar that I think is wise to pay attention to is the US commercial revenue growth. And many people have been critical in the past that I focused on this figure, but I think it is an absolute necessity that you understand the culture of the US, the structure of the US, and what it means uh, from an innovative standpoint to have adoption within the US. I think that we can see that there is a deep-rooted culture uh, within American society and business um, of adoption of the best technology, of the agility of firms, in which is perhaps not seen as clearly within Europe and other areas of the world. According to COO Sankar, Palantir have focused their efforts over the past two years on, in quotes, can we get it to really work well in one place, in which he was referring to the US. In other words, Palantir is focused on their efforts in the commercial, in, in the commercial space specifically, and then will expand this same strategy globally, once the US strategy has been crystallized. And the importance of the US commercial space is due to the fact that the US has a very unique ability to adopt new technologies fastest, whilst also being agile and resilient within periods of change. The US clearly has been an area of technological adoption, firstly, before any other nation uh, or society. Alex Karp has reiterated in many times the applause he has and the appreciation he has and the optimism really for the US specifically because US companies are, are, are very aggressive in terms of the adoption. They're very open to new adoptions of technologies, uh, new radical innovations, uh, namely Palantir. So to put simply, the United States is and has been a leading indicator for technological adoption and innovation. Thus, by definition, the United States is a leading indication of Palantir's success and must be taken into consideration. When looking from a macro holistic perspective, it seems very reasonable for me to assume that companies are going to be looking towards deflationary technologies over the, over the next few years, over the next few months, uh, very, very soon. The reason is there's a necessity now to cut costs and save time. There are two main principles that basically lead me to this, con to this conclusion. Number one, in consideration of the high cost of capital, and number two, in consideration of the high cost of labor. This has led me to believe that there, there are going to be companies which are increasingly looking towards deflationary technologies that are going to thrive within this modern environment and therefore will cut costs and save time. It's incredibly important to understand uh, the changes we're having as a, as a society and how this will reflect upon technological adoption. Cost pressure should make companies accelerate innovation in automation, productivity-enhancing technologies, and many of these technologies, namely Palantir, are, are inherently deflationary. 
While cyclical forces tend to deter investments within an uncertain macro environment, we believe that structural changes in demographics, energy policies and security, and an aging capital base make technologies focused on cost reductions and productivity very, very valuable. Importantly to note, these def deflationary technologies and adoptions are longer-term changes that are probably going to be experienced over the next three to five years. I think when, when it comes to innovation, when it comes to technological adoption, uh, I think people actually, uh, interestingly, can underestimate how long it takes for technological adoption. I'm not saying technological adoption takes 10 to 15, 20 years, but I think it's also naive to assume that technological adoption happens instantaneously within a year. It often often takes uh, even the most agile and kind of uh, tech-savvy organizations maybe two to five years to adopt the newest technologies. So long story short, I think it's better to stay on and, and be more cautious when it comes to this expectation of new technologies being adopted when it comes to deflationary pressures. So the bottom line is that there are deflationary technological adoptions that are going to occur eventually. It seems reasonable as I mentioned beforehand, the US, the US is going to be a nation in which thrives and takes lead within the introduction of rapid um, acceleration of technological deflationary forces. So pretty excited on that front. There is no, gro no doubt at all that the US growth is also exponential, which is a, a very, very important figure to me. In Q1 of, in Q2 of 2021, we saw 90% growth. In Q3 of 2022, 10%. In Q4 of 2022, sorry. There is no doubt also that the US commercial growth is exponential. Um, we can see in terms of some fascinating figures, 90% growth in Q2 of 2021, 10% growth in Q3 of 2021, Q4 of 2021, we saw 132% growth. In Q1 of 2022, we saw 136% growth. In Q2 of 2022, we then saw 120% growth. This is specifically within the US commercial space. So this leads me to believe that the US commercial growth is, is, is absolutely exponential. I think it's without, without question, actually. So the other metric that I want to highlight and bring to your attention that I'll be looking at is contribution margin. And contribution margin, I believe, is actually one of the most underrated metrics to look at for Palantir that I hear no one really speaking about. Contribution margin basically measures um, the overall efficiency for Palantir within selling and delivering software to customers. Let me just read what they mentioned uh, within the S1 filing that I found. Contribution margin, a measure of our efficiency in selling and delivering our software to customers, has improved as well. Our contribution margin in 2019 was 21%. In the first half of 2020, our contribution margin was 48%, rising from 17% in the first half of 2019. Most recently, in Q2 of 2020, our contribution margin was 55%. We define contribution margin as revenue, less our cost of revenue and sales and marketing expenses, excluding cost-based costs. We define our contribution margin as revenue, less our cost of revenues and sales and marketing expenses, excluding stock-based compensation divided by revenue. So to put that very simply, in other words, contribution margin so shows how efficient Palantir is within selling and delivering software for customers. And contribution margin basically indicates that Palantir is becoming better and more efficient at getting the software in the hands of customers. So an incredibly important margin and uh, factor to look out for. But just to summarize, I'm not expecting anything staggering from this quarter. I am looking at intangible factors and specifically these four pillars uh, as kind of a place to, to analyze and to pay specific attention to. Just as a quick summary, before we wrap up, the most important metrics I will be looking at include customer acquisitions, net dollar retention rate, 
US commercial revenue growth and also contribution margin. Let me know your thoughts. Is this going to be a good quarter? Will we beat? And I'll see you very soon.